Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to the Tundra. Tundra. Oh, Jorna, I can't speak. But yes, Jorna Taylor is with us as always. Jorna is a political consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Um, listeners, you should know that this is our third take at trying an introduction. It's going to be a podcast uh, today. <laughs> yes, I'm in a good spirits. I can't stop from laughing. Robert Craig, the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert is with us as always. Robert, welcome. Uh, good morning, everyone. <laughs> if you like the cold. Love the cold. Love it. This will be proof there's no global climate change because it got cold. Don't. Don't tell. Don't no tell. China. Don't tell the Donald. So, welcome, Robert. Uh, we have a number of issues. We're going to talk about Obamacare again. We're going to talk about again. what's happening at the federal level. We're also going to talk very briefly about Trump's cabinet. We spoke of, spoke of it a few weeks ago. Uh, we must also talk about the state ethics commissioner resigning, more about WEDEC and outsourcing, and some information about voucher schools and their impact on funding for uh, districts around the state. And uh, we have to end by a brief discussion of our crazy Sheriff David Clark here in Milwaukee. So with that, got to talk about Obamacare. Uh, the GOP and Trump seem hell-bent. They're charging forward with repeal. We mentioned last week, I, I think we mentioned it last week, but if not, um, that uh, McConnell has announced that they will definitely make this a top priority. It's going to happen on January 3rd. Um, and this is in spite of the repeal not being at all popular, certainly with any sort of medical group, anyone connected at all who would uh, understand what it takes to run a 21st century healthcare system uh, supports this. And quite frankly, the polling even isn't great for them on this. Uh, but they're going to charge forward with it. And what we want to talk about today um, is the Democrats. And so they repeal it. Then it's time to replace. Uh, Republicans haven't given us any timeline. There's no real clarity. Other than they've kind of pretty much said that they're going to do this piecemeal. So the question's going to be, they need eight Democrats. Eight is the magic number um, in order to pass anything through the Senate, assuming that they don't blow away the filibuster, which is a whole different uh, conversation. So is that possible, Robert? You are, you're, of course, our healthcare Obamacare expert since uh, uh, you lead our work in that area. Is, I mean, is this possible? Uh, media, tracker, and <laughs> media Tracker says I'm the high priest of Obamacare. The high, the high priest of Obamacare. Uh, that, that's so I, I, you know, I'm probably a priest that would be excommunicated because I believe in something much more than Obamacare. Yeah. Well, so unfortunately, you know, we're going to have this piecemeal. And there are, I, I believe it is five Democrats who are in states that Trump won by double digits. That is obviously going to be the first place of engagement. But there's a number of other uh, Democrats, obviously Tammy Baldwin, uh, not that we would ever <laughs> expect Tammy to be open, but that are in areas that certainly Trump did well. Is this possible? It seems a bit far-fetched to me that they would have anything that would appeal to any of these Democrats, but who knows, Robert? Well, we got you got to play out the dynamic here. They can repeal the funding for the Medicaid expansion and for the very large tax subsidies that make healthcare even remotely affordable for people who don't have good insurance at work. They repeal, can repeal those without 
uh, with just a simple majority. And so that's what Mitch McConnell is promising to do. And then it will have a two or three year expiration date on it. And so they'll leave Obamacare in place and then supposedly replace it in the meantime. Although that's not guaranteed that they wouldn't that they would do this two or three years. That's the best thoughts, or is that actually they kind of pretty much a well, done deal? Well, then it's got to be a done deal because they otherwise they throw thirty million people off their health care. Seems okay, like it should be right but. away, uh, as opposed to pushing it down the road and beginning to blame it because the system will start to unravel once insurers know it isn't going to exist and they can blame all of those problems on Obamacare and try to muddy the waters on who did it. Uh, but at this point, they have this solid campaign promise they have to follow through on, and they do have to follow through on. The, the predicate act here was them campaigning this way and lying about Obamacare all these years and then campaigning in this fashion. But even if they understood that this would cause a political firestorm, they have to have a symbolic repeal. They do. And, and, and Trump has to sign it. But they, of course, have no replacement, so there is no option other than a timeline where they leave it in place Two years is uh, some, they're kind of going back and forth between two versus three years. But then I know George is going to say something. And then the second thing is if it's officially repealed without being replaced and you don't have a replacement, then what is the process? And it's, and, and that it's a whole other political calculus, which we can get into. Uh, well, I just want to remind our listeners that Paul Ryan has stated that no one will be worse off with this Obamacare phase out that they're talking about. No one. No one will be worse off, Robert. With the secret plan, which is like Nixon's secret plan to end the Vietnam I mean, cool War, with that. for example. <laughs> but, so, but, so, okay, it's repealed. It's going away in two or three years. Let's just play this out. And by the way, they want to go after Medicaid, general Medicaid and Medicare as well, and their new Secretary of Health Services, Tom Price, wants to. So it's all one fight. But let's be clear, the Democrats are then in a position uh, with replacements they can filibuster the replacements, but if they filibuster them all and nothing happens, then 30 million use their health care. Do you understand that yeah. the, the dynamic is more complicated because they will have been able to repeal the major funding for the Affordable Care Act? Sure. All of that, absolutely. But do we, do we as Democrats have to start from this position of, well, you know, being open to these different things and talking about how, well, I don't care, Austin King, who is an independent from Maine, who caucuses with the Democrats. Is like, Angus, well, Angus. Angus, sorry. Austin's Angus, a August, former Austin's progressive activist. Sorry, yes. Angus. <laughs> he doesn't matter anymore. He is not an independent from Maine, but Angus King from Maine, who caucuses with the Democrats, has said, I don't care if they call it Trump care, you know, as long as we can agree on some of these things that need to be fixed like we're st we're it, this is like you know public option versus what we got all over again right like we're starting from this position of well eventually we're going to roll over and I, I get that we're in the minority but that's disappointing to me to see before he has even taken office so they will just to be clear be able to repeal the individual mandate and the employer mandate uh, but not guaranteed issue, that is, that you have to sell insurance, which means that the healthy people leave the system, it becomes entirely unaffordable, it, it, it sabotages the whole law, but has on the books technically that they can't deny coverage. Let's charge you five, six, seven times more than they charge right now. So it's, it, is, it really is a situation of the dog caught up to the car and doesn't know what to do, but the, car, the dog does at least have to pretend to attack the car. Maybe it's smart enough not to. Uh, but... The thing is this, they want the money. So there are all sorts of compromises available if you, if you could take the money and put it into, uh, into the system to guarantee affordable health coverage. But if you don't do that, there's no way 
and tens of millions of people are going to lose their coverage, and it is going to be a, a backlash at some point. The question is where. And at this point, we simply need to be educating the public about what's going to happen and increasing the cost of this vote, which they will take. I, I think they're miscalculating, actually, that they can somehow wait three years to replace this thing. I mean, they basically decried that this thing is destroying the economy, it's crushing people, but yet they, and, and that they are going to come in, make this the first priority. And they basically, Robert, they didn't run saying, we're going to repeal it and wait three years, right? Like, <laughs> they, they, were, they were craven. And by the way, their base, like, oh, yeah, we'll repeal it and, you know, and we'll replace it in two or three years. I think they're really open to get not only completely crushed from the left, but from their base. Their Tea Party base is not going to be thrilled that they got they got to wait three years they have, to stop the economy. That's all well and good. Minds. They have no alternative. Oh, I, they got nothing. Oh, I agree. They really got nothing. Buying insurance uh, across state lines <laughs> that was approved in Mississippi doesn't do anything other than potentially um, get you policies that don't cover anything. I mean, that's literally what the solution is. So it's like having cars that are going to kill you yeah. uh, because they're, they're cheaper cars to make because guess what? The wheels fall off on the highway. I mean, that's what we're talking about Look, here. Jordan, you, you bring up a good thing. You start talking about right away, why do we have these Democrats that are you know, immediately sort of bending backwards to seem like they want to be helpful? Um, look, right, I, I started off by saying we've got five of them sitting in seats that Trump won by double digits. The, the, but the reality is, if they don't stay unified, first of all, on repeal, which they've got to be 100% unified on, right, it allows what Robert said to actually happen where the Republicans can put them in the box where it's like, well, people are going to, you know, we've repealed this. People are going to lose their health care if you don't support this really piece of shit bill that helps make sure people with pre-existing conditions. That doesn't really do it. Uh, then the Democrats will get absolutely annihilated on this, but they need to, from day one, say this is your, you got to fix this. Well, and they're already, you know, Senator McCaskill is saying, you know, if, if it makes sense, there will be a lot of Democrats who would be for it. But then on the other side, you have um, incoming minority leader Chuck Schumer, who's saying, uh, nope, no bipartisan <laughs> compromise. So we're already fractured going into this yeah. fight. And And look, I understand that... We care about healthcare and we care about people and we care about families, you know, having coverage for their children and all of these things and having access to healthcare. We think it's a right. That's why we're Democrats. And so, of course, we're not going to rule out a conversation about how to cover as many people as possible when Republicans are dismantling this healthcare system. But do we have to just roll over, you know, immediately in the face of this? I mean, I think that's what disappoints me the most. Here's the thing, right? They're also in a broader ideological box here uh, because, well, they've lied, right, about the law and its impact on health care costs, et cetera. The Democrats have been incompetent in defending the law, complicated law yes. they created, which was harder to defend, grant you, but would have been easier to defend expansion of Medicare, right? But they didn't want to do that because they were going to use Republican ideas and it was going to be better and they wouldn't be attacked in the same way wrong, right, to quote uh, our president-elect wrong. Uh, I think he got it from uh, John McLaughlin originally, the late John McLaughlin. But here's the thing, right? You cannot 
in, a, in an economy like ours, with how expensive healthcare is and how wages have stagnated and declined and how many jobs are poor, are low-wage jobs that don't include health benefits, you cannot guarantee affordable health care for people unless the government is heavily involved in structuring the system and help finance it. And Republicans are against that. And they're, it's just like climate change and, and climate disaster. They're just to have their, 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 their ideological heads in the sand and they're just going to repeat over and over again that if we get government out of the way, everything will be great. Uh, not so much. And they, they seem hell-bent on proving the absolute uh, lie that is their ideology. I mean, that's what we're dealing with here. We're, we're dealing with the world as it works versus the world as these adolescents wish it to be. And it is an adolescent ideology, quite frankly. It really is. I mean, it's so clear they, the emperor has no clothes when they come up, as Matt rightly points out, and say, we're, we, our number one campaign promise can't really be done because we got nothing. And we promised everyone would have lower health care costs if we did this and more choice. And so we're going to delay it three years and say we did it and not have any replacement and say there's going to be one. It is very much like Nixon's secret plan to, to, bring, to, to end the Vietnam War. It is the same kind of thing. So we want to remind our listeners that it is open enrollment for the Affordable Care Act just because they're planning on repealing it. As Robert said, it may still be around for two or three years, and it may be your or somebody you know and care about's only or best option to get access to health care. So please remind folks they've got until January 15th. Is that right, Robert? January 15th to for February 1st, uh, beginning of enrollment. And one thing people should understand is because there seems to be higher enrollment going on, people haven't been given good information on this, but their gut is right that they're in better position if they have uh, the, the coverage already uh, because a lot of the replacement fake plans that are out there, like Ron Johnson's, for example, say, we protect people with pre-existing conditions, asterisks, if they have continuous insurance. That's right. So in other words, they're saying that, it, and, and this is what the insurance companies used to do, and so they're saying, if you don't have insurance, then you have no right to health care. And, and so, yes, you're in much better shape if you, if you get the insurance and hold on to it in these very scary times where people's health, their financial livelihoods, they, the, the health and future of their families are at stake because of bullheaded, ignorant ideology, right-wing ideology that is currently holding sway in Washington. So with that, we are going to talk about Donald Trump and his cabinet Oh, yes. God. So, Jorna, we Speaking of bullheaded, <laughs> well, ideological, that was a good transition. Uh, climate denying, etc. So that Speaking is of climate denying. There you go. Well, look, you know, we I think it was two or three weeks ago. We, Jorna, you talked a little bit about some of the fine uh, choices or people that had already been selected. We are now it's uh, we record December 15th. The, almost the entire cabinet is full. We're not quite full. Uh, but one thing is clear. He's already set a record that this will be. In a very white male dominated. I'm dreaming of a white <laughs> cabinet. <laughs> well, I got Jorna, it. you got your dream. Uh, this is a very white. In fact, the top four uh, positions are all white males, and um, there's no Latinos currently. And so again, this is uh, the whitest going back to 18, uh, 18, 18, 1800s. 18, 89 with George Herbert Walker Bush. So, yeah, no, uh, 1989. Um, so, and of course, the actual people, too, behind them, they're not just white men, but they represent Wall Street, More oil, white men. Jorna. I want to sing, I'm going to just sing through this podcast. We're going to party like it's 1989. <laughs> yes. uh, so, 
Two of my favorite things that have come from his orangeness, president-elect orangeness uh, lately, is one, Kellyanne Conway, um, you know, former leader of getting this orange Cheeto, Cheeto in yes, chief elected, um, has come out and stated that uh, she doesn't think that women with kids should work in the White House. So there's that. I think I think that's that's great. Um, Maybe I was right about 1899. Oh my cabinet. god! Uh, <laughs> can can men with kids work in the White House? Apparently that's okay because okay. they have women staying at home. They have Perfect. wives, oh, Robert. Okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to get back into the time warp. Okay, I understand yeah. that's how it worked. Their okay. wives are at home taking care of kids. That will um, not stop Rex. <laughs> so, my my second favorite that has come out recently is um, people may recall a presidential candidate by the name of Rick Perry. Rick Perry, yes. Otherwise known as Dancing with the Stars. I am Rick so Perry. glad you brought up him. Rick Perry has been appointed as <laughs> a um, secretary to a department that he actually could not name in his presidential <laughs> right. run yes. as right. one of the departments that he would eliminate. Don't, don't that, tell me. Uh, I'll get it. Uh, I'll remember. Uh, uh, yeah. So he's going to be running energy. Don't those glasses, so though, do it for you, Jordan? Don't those make, make him look highly intellectual? He can remember things now. That's why I wear glasses now, Robert, so people think I'm smart. Yes. And, you know, he's in charge of things like our... Like nu- uh, 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 some to try, things. To try to do little drawly. Uh, our nuclear energy will be protected by him, right? <laughs> oh, so, um, yeah, the mansplaining cabinet that is shaping up is phenomenal. Yeah, I have a friend. You have a friend that you brought up about about Mr. Perry. He's a he's actually a scientist. One of them. He's not at all political. Like his Is Facebook he a brain face. scientist. No. <laughs> <laughs> and and he he's rarely ever been political that I've noticed in the past. But holy shit, this week it's like a. It's a storm against the Trump cabinet, in particular Rick Perry. He, of course, is appalled that, as a scientist that Rick Perry would even get this position. And Robert even had a joke about the glasses and looking smart and everything. But look, it's, um, it's disturbing. It's incredibly disturbing. And not only just the, the composition being <laughs> essentially white males, but we talked about this before. For a guy who ran a populist campaign, it's a lot of Wall Street, a lot of energy interests, a lot of the same sort of, you know, titans of the economy it's not that are like that swamp created is this being economy. Drained. Yeah, I don't know. Can we say rogues gallery? But uh, I mean, but here's the thing, right? And this is we have to like make this case, and I kind of feel like the way progressives uh, challenge these people, the way a Rachel Maddow would kind of doesn't play uh, to the people who should be Democratic voters and, and shifted to Trump. And so we really do need to discuss how elite this group is. This is a bunch of crazy right-wing elites. There aren't any common working folks here, right? And when asked about that, Trump said, oh, well, I want successful people. So what does that say about all the folks that voted for Trump to represent them? So we need to document and then explain in a compelling way, right, that's not kind of the moveon.org kind of way, right, exactly how these people continue to rig the economy against average people, because that is what they will do. That's all they do, right, to quote from the Terminator. Uh, but our problem is making that case in a compelling way. And it's not a Dem Party email about, betrayed, we're damned. Yeah. Disappointed. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait. Yes. Uh, so... I'm not saying that we're perfect at that either. We need to work together to expose what this is, the way the muckraking journalists did 100 years ago, uh, uh, really exposing the robber barons. But we have not, these do not yet appear to, as robber barons to a lot of average people, even though they are. 
And then we need and it, it's on us to make that case. Um, can we just take like a station identification break here to say that Robert made a pop culture reference nice. to the Terminator yeah, rather than an 1800s literature Hey. Robber Baron, Wigs versus Tories reference. My I, nephews Robert. would consider the Terminator ancient history. I'm so, so proud you know. of you. I was going to say, Jorna, <laughs> you forgot that he had a RoboCop drop, I believe, a week I or two ago. I did have a RoboCop drop. Yeah, yeah, that was about the uh, the car they were selling in RoboCop oh, okay. that was advertised oh, as yeah. a great car because it got low gas mileage, which <laughs> is the Trump ethic, right? No. That is, the more you can despoil the planet, the cooler you are and the more freedom you have. But but speaking of, you know, Robert now selling out to pop culture, um, before we move on to state politics, can we talk about my favorite person? Paul Ryan? Yeah. We absolutely can. What's up with Paul Ryan? No one will be worse off. You trust him, Well, right? no one is going to be worse off, Paul Ryan says. And since, you know, he's just in the congressional district to my south, of course. He's from my home state. I have to trust him. Um, but there's a great MSNBC piece that is titled, With his embrace of Trump, Paul Ryan's sellout is complete. <laughs> um, you know, Paul Ryan has really sort of just fallen into line and was even um, given accolades by the Cheeto-in-Chief-elect the other day at his victory rally in West Dallas um, by saying that Paul Ryan is like a fine wine, um, <laughs> which, I mean, I guess, and, and every day I appreciate his genius more and more. Interesting. And that he's a great guy, really. He's a great guy. And, uh, and he's going to work with him. And he, there's a veiled threat, remember? <laughs> then he said... Uh, unless, of course, he, he tries to buck me, and then, and then I'm not going to be saying nice things about him anymore. And this was at an event where he was booed yes. by the Tump crowd, and then he was talking them down. Oh, don't boo. He's a great guy. They were still scattered Like fine boos. wine. So he's standing there. Then the fine wine thing, but then the veiled threat. Yes. But you better. So but, as soon but don't as, actually. As soon as Paul Ryan says, no, Donald, you can't have your 35% tariff, uh, <laughs> then what happens? By the way, I think the 35% tariff I was going to say, what's the, the 35% is, is tariff, of, is that of, ever happening? Few interesting things in, in, uh, in, in Trump's economic policies. Uh, I think that should be frankly. day one. Day one, the 35% Liberty, property, tariff. no tax. Let's, let's find out how, just how serious he is about that. So well, we, we know Paul Ryan is not serious. That's my point. Yes, of course. So we are going to transfer to our state-level politics, and I just wanted to get some comment from the panel this week. I'm sure there's... Not great surprise, but it did not take long, and we had a st our, one of our state ethics commissioners resign, citing complete dysfunction of this new agency. And let's remind our listeners that in the last cycle, the Republicans completely got rid of the old ethics, uh, board. ethics board, which had actual judges and other folks on it, um, and now have an ethics commission that essentially right now is split, I th believe, partisan. And essentially, this guy left saying this thing, it... it there's no accountability. There's no accountability. It's, it's, there's, there's no way that this thing is ever going to be able to bring charges right now. So I just want to get people's comments. And by the way, if I'm correct, he is a Democrat, has a Democratic history. Uh, and again, his name is Robert Kinney. Uh, he was a state reserve judge from Rhinelander, just so people are clear. Um, and he, he announced his resignation this week. So I don't know, Jorna, your thoughts? Well, you know, I know that I'm usually the uh, snarky commentary on the podcast. So all I'm going to say is, does it matter whether or not there's accountability in the Ethics Commission in our Wisconsin? Because if there was on the Republicans and their gross overreach of how government should 
um, be so dysfunctional, uh, they'd just change the law because that's what they do. And so does this come as any surprise? Absolutely not. You know, we knew that they were setting up a system for where they would only benefit from it. So, you know, good on him for resigning and good on him for being very public about the reasons why. But in no way does this surprise me. This is the kind of fake oversight that we used to have that we used to have you know 100 years ago in which Wisconsin had led the way in becoming one of the cleanest governments out there with really independent service agencies independent election independent ethics in- and of course we still have an independent fiscal bureau a legislative reference bureau these are all the things the Wisconsin idea created okay and they've gone to some old guard system feathering the nest of politicians so politicians never be held accountable for rule breaking when average people are all the time. They want to drug test people who want Badger Care food stamps, but they can go violate campaign finance laws and there's no agency overseeing them. And so I do want to uh, really uh, compliment uh, Judge Kinney for this because, and I've had this conversation with other Democrats that are on uh, Republican Walker agencies that don't function. Uh, if you stay on it, then you become part of it. Do you see what I mean? So he is, he, if, if he's come to this conclusion, I assume in good faith, I've not talked to him, but I've seen his quotes, and he seems very earnest about this and has concrete uh, things to talk about. Uh, but in particular, he, if he felt this strongly, he should absolutely resign in this fashion and try to start a debate and at least create a record, but hopefully begin to recreate the good government movement in this state. And the problem we have is, and this should scare people, and this should scare the general public. There is no good government movement within the Republican Party. It used to be bipartisan, where the campaign finance groups had some, had they more Democrats and Republicans, but there were some very you know, ethical Republican legislators and others who were part of them, part of Common Cause, part of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. That has ended. There's not even any movement. They're just about power, and that's what's going on here. Kinney has this great comment where he talks about how he saw the handwriting on the wall to this agency back in October when they half of the committee I'll assume the Republicans voted to strike from their mission statement that the committee seeks to enhance representative democracy by furthering Wisconsin's tradition of clean and open government they wanted to get rid of that part that that was part of what they were trying to do that they this tradition of clean and open government right to get rid of it it's like really like just unbelievable i can't imagine uh i, I that's a heads that's classic right even if you feel that way repeal. why would you get rid of it they tried to repeal the whole wisconsin idea and just I say know, that the uw like, is uh, it's about creating qualified <sighs> workers for the job creators i know i know it's but like you could argue there that some people make that argument right well what what god's name would the ethics commission's responsibility be other than clean and open government right i mean that what the hell it's just it's putting up good pictures of lobbyists oh i know but but can we you see the public strongly believes in accountability and this is where progressives and democrats i don't want to say it's the party race structure just the people on the other side right um we haven't compellingly made the case to the public that one side is for outright corruption and one isn't and so we got to start making this case better, and this is a start. But what do we, are, are there going to be democratic bills to create uh, the ethics commission that we all should have, by the way, this session, that actually put out a gold standard well, look, that it's they open. can all vote against? It's open now, and I think that's the kind of thing we ought to be talking about now, admittedly. It'll go nowhere, but we ought to have the conversation, and kudos to Kinney, right? And that's mm-hmm. what you raise. By doing this, it, it sparks a conversation, and, and 
a potential to talk about it. It's part of why I wanted to make sure we talked about it on the podcast in case people missed it. It's something you should be talking to people about. This is not a partisan issue, ought not be, and and it's important uh, for the folks that are still listening on the other side. It's about whether legislators about are above the law or not. Let's yeah. be clear. That's what this is about. And they're like trying to place themselves above the law. And that's what Walker did in John Doe. Let's face it. The right can scream and yell all they want, people who run dark money groups, about the First Amendment. It's just a hijacking of the First Amendment. There's about shredding campaign finance laws and creating uh, uh, incredibly corrupt conditions where you can get millions of dollars, our state Supreme Court as well, uh, from people in terms of their spending on your campaigns. And then you're not influenced at all. And you can act on their behalf and you can direct their expenditures. So... I want to switch topics here to talking about our school funding. And um, first, a shout out to uh, Representative Sandy Pope, who released a memo this week. Um, she had requested uh, that we get from Legislative Fiscal Bureau accounting of the impact of voucher schools on funding for school districts around the state. It's worth pointing out that last cycle, very late, the end of the session, Republicans slipped in, in into one of the bills, an amendment that allowed, that changes the way we fund schools as it relates to voucher schools. And the, the memo found that there's now over 200 school districts within the state that have no voucher kids, but are losing money uh, because of the voucher uh, system. And obviously, this is at a time when we have a lot of districts that are struggling to keep teachers, pay for teachers, a lot of our rural districts. Um, and we actually have some districts that you know, are merging, potentially losing their school dis uh, schools. People are concerned about these kinds of issues. So obviously this is gonna continue to erode uh, uh, public education, Jorna. Well, I, you know, it's projected that what it's going to be 800 million in cost to school districts over the next few years. That's appalling, you know. It, but Republicans have been dismantling public education in Wisconsin from, you know, K-12 through higher public education for years now. So this, I don't see this trend stopping unless there's a massive uprising at some time soon. Um, you know, privatization is not the best way forward in all cases, and I don't know how. You, you know, if we go what, bang them over the head with mallets, or how do we well, fix this? Well, let me issue. suggest one thing. Um, we mentioned, I think, a couple podcasts ago about Tony Evers, right? Yeah. Tony Evers, we talked about his budget. One of the things his budget does, and we need to make sure we're talking to people about this, is it actually expands resources for these rural districts, right, uh, that are having real struggles with the funding formula and what it's doing since they're shrinking districts. Um, He's up for election, so we're going to have a discussion, right? Now, we know these elections often don't have a high turnout, but again, can we engage our base? Can we engage people that care about these issues, care about public education, are fighting in, to save their rural school districts about this issue, about what the vouchers are costing and what the funding formulas are doing to our school districts? We're going to have an opportunity over the next four Three. months Three and, and a half. To have that conversation. It's just not a lot of time. So for those of you who have been to Joint Finance Committee, uh, what you'll see is you'll see uh, private voucher school operators taking the kids out of school, dressing them up nicely, and then using them as props, having them sit in the audience. And of course, none of the public school kids are there because guess what? They're being taught. So maybe some of these school districts 
which are democratically elected, should start having a higher level of resistance, and maybe they should call, uh, call school out in their area when Joint Finance Committee is in their area and bring all the kids in and have them involved and them be visible uh, when these legislators get up there and pull money out of our public schools and our public education. One of the great things we've created in American history, I mean, we're the country that created the universal free public education all the way to 12. We need to go beyond 12, actually. And now, with, not only are we not doing that, uh, we're frittering away, you know, this, this commitment that, that's been made and has been funded for decades and decades, and in fact, funded at a time when we were much, much poorer. You have to understand that we are, despite the economic inequality and who has the money, we are a much richer state than we were when we created this universal free education and throughout the years that it was built up. And so, uh, but right now, these legislators, problem legislators run being pro-education. And no one's making an effective argument to voters saying that, no, no, they're undermining education. I know they're saying it, but people aren't getting it. People who are for investing in their own public schools are voting for people who are enemies of their local public schools. Want to uh, let folks know we are we intend to be involved in that uh, DPI election and particularly uh, start engaging our organizing cooperative and members. We we're hoping to have uh, Tony go around and talk with people and start to get people involved because we see this as a very important race. It's worth pointing out we we're just talking about Trump's cabinet. Uh, he did uh, point to education Betsy DeVos, who, of course, leads this push of vouchers. and From the Amway fortune. Absolutely. And she's invested hundreds of millions in Wisconsin. To, uh, uh, American to, to Federation of Children's, I believe. And other, and and other and dark other. money vehicles. It's just one of them. Uh, in order to uh, reward politicians uh, who will undermine public schools and create these substandard voucher schools, which are based on the idea, because you know where they save money? They don't have qualified teachers, and they don't pay them. And you'll notice we think if we don't pay CEOs, it would be a disaster, right? Uh, but it's perfectly fine just to, to have un, uh, you know, teachers that churn every couple of years who, aren't, who, who, don't have, who are not certified and who are paid much less. I mean, what other, there's the only profession in the world that we think it's better if we, pay the, if we pay the key personnel, the professionals who do it less. But, but Robert, she's a woman on the cabinet. She's a woman. That is her one virtue. Yes. yes. There may be others. Uh, listeners can call in and tell me other sure, virtues she might she's have. she's a nice person. So with that, <laughs> we are going to, we need to just briefly mention, we love to talk about WEDEC. Uh, this is Governor Walker's jobs agency that he's trying to separate himself from. Um, it, this week there was a board meeting. Uh, Representative Barca, who sits on the board, was introducing... Uh, amendment resolution whatever whatever it is they do there and their Roberts <laughs> rules of order uh, to essentially bring back some accountability or some tracking for outsourcing because clearly what WEDEC had promised that it was going to do it has not been doing in any kind of uh, systematic way that could could lead to any accountability Robert I know this is something we have been tracking uh, well, this goes back to 2014 in the Mary Burke-Scott Walker race, which a lot of people may wish to forget uh, who are listening to the podcast. But remember, uh, Mary Burke was attacked for Trek Bicycle, which she was not running, having outsourced. And then the response was, well, Governor Walker through WEDEC gives money to companies that outsource jobs. And so their solution then, and we've been campaigning on it ever since then, uh, was to say that, well, we're going to have notice where they have to give 30 days notice. We then found out earlier this year after a broker's request that they had zero notices 
zero in the year and a half. So uh, even though we have very public cases of companies outsourcing who are taking our state money at WEDEC, who are up at the, at the trough. And so Peter Barca had a very modest proposal. And there's some good will give links. Wisconsin State Journal did a nice lead-in story to the, the WEDEC vote to simply require them to live up to what they promised in 2014. That is, is that companies that are taking our money and then outsource or downsize have to tell WEDEC within 30 days. And so here's how transparent WEDEC is. It's not usually a good idea in any journalism or podcasting to say you don't know things. Uh, this meeting happened earlier this week. We actually don't know what happened. There's been no follow-up press coverage, which tells you how transparent WEDEC is for the public. And uh, both Kevin Kane, our organizing director, who's driving to Wausau, so I don't want to be unsafe, and I have been trying to call people and find out at this recording uh, we, I guess we probably know in our hearts that they certainly didn't accept uh, Peter Barca's uh, resolution, but mm -hmm. I'm saying that we don't, even know, we don't even know what the debate was. Maybe it was held over. So we're going to we'll, – if, if there's news that breaks today about the meeting yesterday, we'll obviously report, put those links in our podcast. Um, this is an area where, as we move forward, I think we can expose a fault line between what Donald Trump is saying and what – Governor Walker is doing at the jobs agency and constantly reminding them that what Trump is running around saying that he's going to put an end to, um, not only we're we not putting an end to it at, at WEDEC, we're allowing companies to actually continue to get money when they outsource jobs. Let's, we will so. find out whether uh, Trump's promises to do something about outsourcing will be similar to his promise to provide more affordable health care to everyone um, and more choice. But we do need to point well, out that there's a huge rhetorical separation I, now between right. uh, the great Governor Walker and the great president-elect. Look, I, I think that's one of the more, look, there was a fundamental issue in this election. Trump has uh, rightly tapped into it. And so exposing and keeping a constant pressure on for that uh, fissure is important. Before we go, we wanted to talk about Sheriff David Clark. And if you live anywhere outside of Milwaukee County, you are fortunate not to have him as your sheriff. He has well, been, he's the people's sheriff. He's America's sheriff, Matt. Yes, he he is a extraordinarily controversial sheriff. He's been extremely conservative throughout his tenure. Actually ran as a Democrat here in Milwaukee County. Although has from the very beginning at the beginning he tried to be a little better he was against conceal and carry originally and then he's now he's flipped the yeah. totally crazy right wing yeah so he has had some very public deaths in his jail in fact four people have died this year in the in the jail which led to a few weeks ago uh, one of Milwaukee County uh, supervisors calling for his uh, to resign, and, and, and all Clark did was respond by making fun of the supervisor's name and basically saying... Because he's an adult. Yeah, it, it, I mean... <laughs> this is Gwen Moore's son. Yeah, Gw yeah good of, point. Yeah. Gwen, Gwen Moore's son. Um, Clark's response was, Supervisor who? That sounds like some character in a science fiction comic book. And he's upset that I helped Donald J. Trump get elected POTUS. So uh, reboot a couple weeks later. Three state legislators from Milwaukee call yesterday, so Wednesday, for Sheriff Clark to uh, step down. And, well, you know, they got a fairly similar <laughs> similar response. 
Quote, the sheriff said he is thoroughly bored with this Democratic Party fake news. I guess four deaths is fake news because he helped Donald Trump get elected POTUS. They must have heard him speak at last night's Trump victory rally, and it touched a nerve. So you can see Hashtag the pattern here. Yeah, make America great again. Make America great did he, again. Did he ride on the stage on a horse, Jorna? I don't know. <laughs> I can't. It makes me sad that he has horses. He has a horse and a cowboy hat, right? He probably and, and he also uh, look like his his off the cuff, snarky. I mean, people think we're bad. Like d- David Clark is <laughs> this podcast just, has got no snark on on him. You huh? know, he he about one of the three elected officials. He was like, who? Yeah. You know, let's put it this way: he's so bad that Trump couldn't figure out how to appoint him. Do you think that could be <laughs> like new jokes? David Clark is so bad. <laughs> he's the only one who. Couldn't pass through a Trump vetting process. But um, bump. Well, anyways, uh, he is ours, and it's not likely that he'll be stepping down anytime soon. So, with that, it is one of the coldest uh, days we've had in probably a year or two. This weekend, I'm sure it's going to warm up. Jorno, uh, is Reno and George are they um, are they shivering, or do you got them all bundled Listen, up? And George and Reno own an extensive collection of overcoats. Uh, <laughs> they are happily ensconced in their barn with a pile of hay, wearing giant snuggies. <laughs> and I will go out every day and stick my icy cold hands underneath their coats and try not to get bit. Oh, that sounds great. Hey, so uh, you do a top 10 list album party. Is that happening this year, Jorna, over the holidays? Well, uh, executive producer Brian Wildridge and I are trying to figure out a date for that. So listeners, you know, you should send us your favorite um, albums of 2016. That's right. If any of you are musophiles, what do they call it Audiophiles. Audiophiles. And actually track modern music. Uh, Hit up Jorna. You uh, send her, her your top ten lists, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll invite you to the party. Robert, what's happening in Bayview this week? Well, I've not fully planned out any oh. kind of weekend. I hear it's going to snow heavily. So shocks me. Um, but all the better to work, my dear. Well, we do. Maybe Matt doesn't. We have huge end of the year deadlines uh, at Citizen Action, uh, but we are maybe the beginning of the weekend furlough is that, and this will be um, after after this recording, but before the posting of the podcast, we are going to have a candlelight vigil around uh, people, 30 million people, 430,000 people in Wisconsin being left out in the cold by Trump and the Gresham Republicans, and so we're going to be in the cold, so we're trying to use that as a hook. So some of our hearty Milwaukee co-op members will be out there with us in the at 6 o'clock Thursday, which will already happen, but we hopefully will get by without any frostbite. And then I do think we should mention, Matt, I know this is not even a furlough either, is, is that the Northeast Wisconsin Co-op, got enough, that's Green Bay and the Fox Valley, got enough members so that it is literally going to succeed. It's, going, it's moving forward. So, And our Wausau Co-op and North Central Wisconsin Co-op is launching a 60-day drive this week. So we are building organizing capacity around the state for the big resistance fights ahead. So that's not a furlough, but... Well, congratulations to everyone who joined the cooperative up in northeastern Wisconsin. That is a big deal, and uh, obviously, great job to Rebecca Durain, the organizer who helped make that happen. Um, it's not easy, and that is uh, very exciting and much needed. And of course, uh, kudos to the folks in Wausau that are that are ready to roll. So, and well, so Robert, 
it looks like uh, you have another furlough, or is this a Barca furlough? No, fresh off the presses, we have a call from uh, Representative Barca. It is office. a Barca furlough. Yes, and uh, they did pass their own motion on outsourcing, not Peter Barca's motion, which uh, the Barca folks are going to send to us. We will need to analyze it. So I'm more, sure it's good. I'm sure what they passed was excellent. More next week on what it is. But they done. did something under the topic area, but they refused to accept the very reasonable proposal by Peter Barca that they just have to tell within 30 days if they outsource. So it doesn't sound promising. But more, more Outsourcing is over at more, WEDAC. More next week. Party, party. So, you know, actually, I had a great time at the Christmas Carol with my family the other week. Uh, at that the wasn't It's a Wonderful Life with Charlie Sykes? No, but no. Robert, Robert, I think, you know, you may want to go see the Christmas Carol, right? Not that you're anything like Scrooge, but we do want you to get out and maybe visit the Sugar Maple on Saturday or something. You do need to... We need some roses, right? Roses. Oh, Brian's got his hand up. Brian. The new Star Wars broke oh, that's right. Well, you, uh, you stole my thunder. I'm actually going to see Star Wars with my son. He uh, asked me to uh, go with him. So that is actually my furlough, is I'm excited to see Star Wars. I, think I was six years old when it first came out. So go on, go on to see that with Ezra. Gabe as a friend. So with that, Ryan, thank you for making the podcast happen every week. And we'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.